we're thankful for another opportunity to get to study the Word of God. Um, sorry that it's been a couple weeks since we've had a Bible study out, but uh, we finished John 3 last time and would like to start looking at some of the feasts of the Old Testament and how that they point to Christ, His sacrifice, and the salvation provided for mankind in Christ's work. I hope everybody's had a good week. I hope you have wonderful services tonight. Um, and if you'd like to look with us, we're going to start in Exodus 12. And the feast we'd like to start with is the feast of the Passover, unleavened bread, the feast of the first fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, which in the New Testament is referred to as Pentecost. And all of these feasts, um, they're separate, but they are all together. They're tied together um, in somewhat of one event. So we'll look at all four of these together and begin with the Feast of the Passover, which is probably the most familiar of the feasts of the Old Testament because of the clear picture of Christ that it provides and because the, the first Passover was that that delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of Egypt. A, a great and a well-known deliverance that God wrought uh, for His people Israel and a great type and shadow of the work that God wrought in Christ Jesus to bring deliverance not from Egypt and from Pharaoh, but from judgment, the wrath of God for sin, and from the power of darkness, Satan. So we read about this first Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And the first Passover was the one that brought the deliverance from the judgment of God in Egypt. And I think that's the thing to remember. This Passover, while it does uh, result in the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and out from under Pharaoh, the wicked king that was oppressing them, the, the Passover and the blood of that Passover lamb didn't deliver them from Pharaoh but it delivered them from the judgment of God. God said, I'm going to pass through the land, and I'm going to slay the firstborn in every house. And it was the blood of this lamb that protected them from that judgment that God pronounced. So in Exodus 12, we read of this first Passover, and this was made by the decree of God, a feast that they were to celebrate every year at this same time, and that was remembrance of the work that God had done in bringing them out of Egypt. And today, it's the Lord's Supper. We don't have the Passover uh, in the New Testament. It's been replaced by the Lord's Supper because of the work that Christ done to deliver us. But the taking of that Lord's Supper, it's not for salvation, but it is in remembrance of the work that Christ done on Calvary and in resurrecting from the dead and ascending back to God, that complete work of Christ. 
and the work of Christ that takes place in the individual heart. And without the work of Christ in the heart, that work of redemption, then taking of the Lord's Supper, that ceremony that's in remembrance of, by the words of Paul, it brings condemnation on us. So let's look at the Passover and, uh, you know, as weak and beggarly as our mind is and our ability to understand outside of the presence and help of the Holy Ghost of God, we're going to miss a lot of things that's here, but we'd like to try to cover as much as we can and get as much of the picture as we can get. So in Exodus 12, now God has already brought many of the plagues. The last plague is the death of the firstborn, and he's going to give direction here for the Passover that they could escape. And of course, the the name Passover, it comes from, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. As a result of this, the judgment of God passes over their house, and they're spared that judgment. So in verse 2, we'll just, we'll read verse 1. Chapter 12 of Exodus. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So, um, I'm not a scholar in in, uh, Old Testament or history or Jewish history or even of the world in this day, I would assume that they probably kept the same calendar that the Egyptians had. They've been in Egypt for 430 years and they kept time the way the Egyptians kept time. And we know in the Old Testament and the old way of keeping time was from evening until evening. So, uh, for instance, Wednesday... Our Wednesday began at 12 a.m. midnight. Well, in the Old Testament, Wednesday would begin at 6 p.m. and it would continue through the night, through the day, and at 6 p.m. the next day, Thursday would begin. So maybe that's hard to understand uh, at first, but really if you just think just a little, it's just moved the beginning of a new day uh, up six hours. So... Uh, God says, we're going to change the calendar, and this is going to be the beginning of your new year. That Whatever the new year was previous, we're changing it to this time. And you know, this work of the Passover, such a monumental work, the children of Israel are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they're going to cross over Jordan. And by the words of Rahab, when they cross over Jordan, all the people in Jericho trembled and their hearts melted because they remembered the work that God done in Egypt bringing them out. The the deliverance that God's going to bring here is going to be remembered all through the Old Testament. It's going to be a, a hallmark of the nation of Israel that God delivered them out of Egypt through the blood of this Passover lamb. And we're going to read about it in the Psalms. We read about it in the prophets. It's going to be carried over into the New Testament by the picture of Jesus Christ. This is a great work here. And this is going to be the beginning of the new year. So in in Hebrews chapter 8, so you think of Christ and Christ's work Uh, so much greater than the Passover. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, 
But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So the picture here is that Christ Jesus and his work, his sacrifice, and the, the means of salvation that he brought in, it brings in a whole new, uh, a whole new covenant a whole new means for God to deal with man. No more does man have to remain in bondage under Satan, under his deceit and under his lies. No more does man have to continually carry the guilt of his sin. But Christ has brought a better and a new covenant. And, and you know, you talk about a beginning of a new year. Well, Christ brought in, uh, naturally speaking, a whole new means of time. Our time is counted, though the world would like to discount it. The time is counted, the years are counted, centered around the work that Christ has done. And the Lord Jesus says that the law and the prophets were until John. But John the Baptist, from his time forward, the kingdom of God is preached and a whole new redemption has been brought in through Jesus Christ. So, in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse number 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So Jesus Christ brought in access to that that there was no access to. He brought in redemption that before there was no means of redemption. He brought in forgiveness of transgression of the law that before there was no forgiveness for. He brought in through his work on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, he brought in an entire new life unto mankind, a spiritual life and a spiritual resurrection out from the clutches of Satan and from fear of death. Now in Hebrews 10, verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant, <coughs> sorry, that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So this sacrifice that Christ offered, he perfected forever all of them that are sanctified. So you could say it this way. All of them that God has set apart for salvation, Christ Jesus and His work 
perfected them forever. And he talks again about this new covenant that the Holy Ghost said, I'll put my laws in their hearts. In the Old Testament, they had phylacteries where they had the law and it was on an armband around their wrist or it was frontlets that hung down before their eyes so that the law, when they reached to do something, the law was on their hands and it was before their eyes as they would look upon something. But in the New Testament, it's no longer there on the the arm or before the eyes. It's down in the depths of the heart. God, through the work of Christ, has wrought a new covenant that's not an outward covenant of works that man could never measure up to, but God's brought in a new covenant where God does a work in the inward man and brings from an old and a dead man that was a son of Adam, he brings a new creature, a new life, a new resurrection, a new thought, and a new desire, and things are never the same from that day of salvation forward. God has wrought something totally new, and it'll never be the same again. Just like this calendar that they changed at the Passover, Christ Jesus brought in a new covenant, a new redemption, new forgiveness, a new inheritance, and a new means to approach God. Having therefore, this is Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have a way today that we can come before God in prayer and in supplication by the Spirit that they did not have in the Old Testament. They could only go in once a year to the holiest where God was. And when they went, it was a time of great fear and trembling. Great care was taken that they didn't go in filthy, that they didn't go in without blood, that they didn't go in uh, uh, and offend God and God destroy them with fire. They went in with fear and much trembling and great carefulness. But Christ brought in a new way to approach God that through His blood and sacrifice we are forever perfected and we can come in with boldness without fear, without worry, without dread, without doubt, without uh, a worry of God's anger being thrust upon us for our sin. We've been cleansed by a new and a living way, a way that's been recently slaughtered and resurrected from the dead and through the blood of Jesus we've got access that they did not have in the Old Testament. A means to approach to God. Things were never the same after the Lord Jesus was offered. The world was never the same after the work of Christ was accomplished. And for the nation of Israel, after the Passover, The years were never the same. This was now the beginning of their year. And you know the truth for them that are born again, their life truly didn't begin till God plucked them out of the darkness of Satan. There, 
the new life began, the more abundant life began, the life in Christ by the Spirit. So now back to Exodus 12. This month shall be the beginning of months. And in verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So the direction of God is that Moses and Aaron speak to all of the congregation. Nobody is left out and nobody is exempt from keeping the Passover. I've referred to this scripture much in Sunday school and in study, uh, both over the last little while. But Moses, in Hebrews 11, the Bible says that Moses kept the Passover lest he that destroyed the firstborn should destroy them also. So even Moses, he wasn't exempt. Every house and every man had to have a lamb. And so, for us today, in Romans chapter number 2, verse number 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So this judgment of God, it's coming to every house. And every house here for the Passover had to have a lamb. Every house had to have blood. Well, you know, today, we're all found guilty by the law of God. And God has offered His Son Jesus for the sins of the whole world. But every man is going to have to take that blood and come to Christ in obedience to the gospel if they're going to escape the judgment of the wrath of God. There's no other way to escape. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl must have a lamb. They must have blood applied to them. Now, I realize the picture may be imperfect here. Here, every household is going to take a lamb. And if, you know, if there's just two people in the household, then maybe their neighbor has just two people, and they can come together under one roof, and the lamb be sufficient for them. The important thing was that none of the lamb remained. They wanted to be sure that there was enough people in the house that the whole lamb was taken. Well, that's the way it is with Christ Jesus as well. He was offered. Now, his one offering was sufficient for the whole world. He says in 1 John chapter 2 that he's the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. But every man 
must take it and apply it to their doorpost and to their lintel, spiritually speaking. They must, by faith, believe God. Believe that judgment's coming to their house. Believe that without blood they're not going to make it. And by faith they must take the blood of Christ upon them that they might escape this judgment. Now, if I don't take the blood of the Lamb, that's not God's fault. That's my fault. That's my own unbelief that caused me to not obey the Word of God. Well, it's the same with man today. The unbelief of man causes him not to bring Christ. I I don't like saying accept Christ, but it keeps man from coming in obedience to the Word of Christ and seeking repentance and the forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, this is what Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. So the declaration of God is, Every man must be saved through the blood of this man Jesus Christ, or he will be found guilty and face the wrath of God in the lake of fire. God's proclaimed in the New Testament that every man must be saved through this man Jesus. Why is it Jesus? Why is he the one? Because he's the only sacrifice sufficient to take away the sins of the world. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, There is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So the man, Jesus Christ, he's the only mediator, the only go-between between me and God. If there's going to be any peace worked out between me and God, it must be worked out through the ransom of Jesus Christ. He paid the debt that God and negotiated may not be a hundred percent correct, but Jesus Christ paid the ransom unto God that our freedom could be negotiated. And if I'm going to be free from the wrath of God, Jesus is the mediator that I must come through and that you must come through and that everyone must come through, no matter of the race, nationality, creed, religion, social status. Jesus is the equalizer. All men must come through him. And all of Israel and all of those that were going to escape the uh, judgment of God down in Egypt, they all had to have a lamb. Moses, he had to have a lamb for his house. Aaron had to have a lamb for his house. The elders had to have a lamb for their house. The young married couples, they had to have a lamb for their house. Everybody had to have a lamb in order to escape the wrath of God. And today, everyone must be born again through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to escape the wrath of God in the judgment. Now, there's something else here in verse 3. In the tenth day of this month, so in the tenth day was when they were going to take this lamb and they were going to set it aside to be killed for the Passover. 
So history would say maybe they brought it into their house, they kept it apart from the other animals, and it was set aside, it was sanctified to be the sacrifice for that family. On the tenth day, they went and took the lamb. So that is significant. In the New Testament, in the book of Mark, we can see it and see it pretty plainly. Mark chapter 11, verse number 1. Now here, we see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is when uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on the foal of an ass and they are cutting down branches, palm branches, and laying it in the path before him and they're crying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus enters in to Jerusalem, enters in to the temple, and it says, this is chapter 11, verse 11 of Mark. So remember, here's the day that Jesus come in, and when the eventide was come, he went out to Bethany. Okay, so verse 12, and on the morrow, so the morrow, so we are now one day past the day that Jesus came in to town. And in uh, verse number 20 of chapter 11, and in the morning, so now we've got another day passed. So we're now two days from the day that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. And in chapter 14, now from 11 verse 20 up to chapter 14 verse 1, all of that happened in one day. And you can read through that if you like. Uh, you can take my word for it if you want to. But if you'd like to read those chapters and verses, you can see that. And then on verse 14, after two days was the feast of the Passover. So from the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we had the two days previous that we've already mentioned, and here we've got two more days. So four days separated the day that Jesus rode in to the Passover. Well, in and we're going to get ahead of ourselves just a little, but on in chapter 12 of Exodus... Verse 6, And ye shall keep it, so that lamb, you're going to keep the lamb up until the fourteenth day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So the Passover was killed on the fourteenth. It was set aside on the tenth. Well, Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the tenth, and then there were the four days in between Jesus riding in and the Passover. So Jesus was riding into Jerusalem in that triumphal entry on the tenth day of the month just as, as Israel was out and they were collecting their lambs to be set aside for the Passover, the Lamb of God that God had set aside, that God had sanctified, that God had said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This is my sacrifice. In the same day that Israel is setting aside their lambs, 
for the Passover, God is sending his lamb into Jerusalem, sanctified and ready for the death on the cross. So that tenth day, it's significant. The lambs are set aside as Christ's entering in. God has set him aside to be the sacrifice that you and that I could escape the judgment of God. He's going to be, as Paul says in Corinthians, Christ is our Passover. So if our household be too little, all of this lamb must be consumed. So there can't be any of it left. So taking Christ and putting him as an ornament on our life, so to speak, that's not what's going on here. But the blood must be applied, but all of the lamb must be taken in. And anything that remains has got to be burned up. So Christ is not just a decoration that I keep in my life, that I decorate my life with, and maybe maybe we ought to explain that just a little. Most people want to live their life as they please, and when trouble would come, or when death comes, Jesus is the ornament that we put in our obituary that's going to take us on to glory land. Well, that's not the Passover of the Lamb. We have to eat this Passover, just as Jesus says in the New Testament, in the book of John, that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. This work is a work that takes place on the inside. And if, you know, if I don't eat that lamb, it's not going to provide me with any strength. But if that enters into me, I can draw strength from that meal. Well, this work of Christ, it's more than just a cross on my necklace. It's more than just a a shirt or a wristband with the name of Jesus on it. It is a work that takes place in the inward man. God changing the heart, the mind, and the desire of man and making him a new creature. And friends, though we decorate with a Passover, if Christ does not enter into our heart by the Holy Spirit of God and abide there, There's no redemption in our lives. I realize that we say that, and we say that over and over and over and over again. But that is the work. It's just as integral to the plan of God as Jesus being crucified. How can you preach salvation without preaching Jesus and Him crucified? You can't. Well, you can't preach salvation without the Holy Ghost entering into the life either. It is an integral part of salvation as God set it up. The Passover, all of it was to be eaten. The Lamb of God, we're going to have to take His work into us by the operation of God if we're going to escape this judgment. So in verse 5, Exodus 12 verse 5 now, they have set aside the Lamb, They've made their count for the lamb. They've decided how many they need to eat it. They've got their households in order. And in verse 5, what's the lamb got to be like? Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. 
ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So it don't matter whether it's a sheep or goat. What matters is that it's a, a male, a first year, and it's uh, without blemish. So if you've got lambs, and, you know, I don't know a whole lot about livestock and the selling prices, but I would think that here, a male of the first year, that's without blemish, that's probably one of, if not the most valuable um, animals that there would be in the flock. So he's saying, you take the most valuable animal you've got, that's without spot and without blemish, to be your sacrifice. In order to escape the judgment, there's a cost associated with that. Now, the cost of redemption, God took on that cost. God paid that price. But know this, to be saved, it does not come without cost for me and for God. This cost people something. It's like with our government today, and they hand out free money. Well, money is not free. They've collected that from somebody. They've collected it from the taxpayers. Well, this salvation, while it is free, and don't take me wrong on that, it's free to man. It didn't come without cost, and it was a great cost. It cost the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, his life, that we might have this salvation. So the Lamb, without blemish, certainly, Christ Jesus, in Second Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse number 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God, in him. So we've talked in the past about the transaction that takes place. Jesus Christ, he had to be without blemish. There could not be the mark of sin upon his life. If he were a sinner, if he had broken the law in one point, then my sin could not be transferred to him and he would have no righteousness to be transferred to me. There would be no salvation. He would have suffered for his sins, but that's not the case. He was a lamb that was without blemish, and it had to be that way in order for there to be a redemption to be paid. He could not pay my ransom if he owed ransom for himself. So God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that his righteousness and perfection could be transferred to me. And in Hebrews chapter 4, now you talk about a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Well, this is what he's talking about when he says a tried stone. In Hebrews 4, 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tried in all points 
That's what the word tempted means. The devil tempted him to sin. He tempted him with the lust of the flesh. He tempted him with the lust of the eye. He tempted him with the pride of life. He tempted him with sorrow. He tempted him with joy. He tempted him in every point like we are. And this precious cornerstone, he came out perfect in every trial. He never dropped the ball. He never laid it down. He never sinned. He never broke the law. He was tried in every point and was perfect in every trial. And he was that way that salvation might be brought to you and I. In First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 verse number 18. The Bible says this of Jesus. For as much as ye know, ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, who verily, oh, but, was, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So Jesus was the perfect lamb without spot and blemish, that we might be redeemed. And if he was not without spot and without blemish, then his suffering now on the cross could not have been a replacement for my suffering in the judgment and in the wrath of God. The, the thieves, as they're hanging on the cross with Jesus in the midst, this is what the one thief says to the other. Dost thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. So if Jesus were guilty, then he would have been suffering justly, just like the thieves. But because Jesus had done nothing amiss, but was willingly sacrificing himself, his death then could make payment for my sin and for your sin and atone, appease the wrath of God against us through his sacrifice. So Jesus was the replacement for you and I in death. The Bible says that he tasted death for every man. And certainly, this lamb here that was set aside without spot and without blemish, perfect, just as Jesus was without spot and without blemish, and friends, if he had blemish, God could not have justly raised him from the dead. Death would have laid hold on him, and he would have never been able to escape it. But the Bible says... That death, the grave, could not hold him.
because he was perfect. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Acts 2 and 24, the Bible says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He could not be held by death because the man Jesus had no sin. And so if if Jesus had sinned, he couldn't have rose from the dead. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 16, if Christ be not raised, verse 17, I'm sorry, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So you see, it was necessary that Jesus be a lamb without spot and without blemish. God would accept nothing less. In the Passover, God would accept nothing less than the best and the most valuable that the children of Israel had. And you say, well, that cost me too much. That cost me too much. I can't give up the best uh, male ram that I have in my flock. Well, then it's going to cost you your firstborn son or your firstborn daughter. So you look at the Lamb of God that was given and you say, well, it costs me too much in order to come to salvation. It's going to cost me my fun. It's going to cost me my life. It's going to cost me my joy. I've got to give up too much in order to come to salvation. Well, think about this. If we don't come, it's going to cost us our soul. Our soul is going to be taken from us and our body and soul are going to be cast into a lake of fire where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. That Gehenna hell, that eternal judgment, eternal death, and eternal wrath of God. So, which is going to cost more? Jesus asked us that very question in Matthew and in Mark. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, I tell you, the cost of losing that soul far outweighs the cost of coming to Christ in salvation. It's, it's a lie of the devil that it costs too much. Many, and I, I say all, that have lived this life and not submitted to the Word of God and left here without a lamb and without blood thinking it cost too much to be saved and that it wasn't worth it to give up. They've wished and would have traded all that they ever had to have another opportunity to be saved as they lay in hell in torment. My, what a, what a price that God paid. God gave His only begotten Son that man could be forgiven. And man thinks it costs too much. The God's truth is, the cost was paid by God. And what's man given up other than a life that's ruined and marred by sin and uh, the, the leadership and the rulership of Satan whose chief desire is to drag you into hell and see you destroyed. My God, we're not giving up anything. 
to gain an eternal salvation and an, a, 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 a sonship with God Almighty. That's as far as we'll look today. We'll look back and uh, maybe try to finish the Passover next time. But in many ways, a wonderful picture of the work of Christ Jesus and the salvation He afforded us in the New Testament. I hope you have a wonderful week. I appreciate each one that listens to us. I hope that the Word of God can be a help to you, a blessing to you, a strength to you. And as always, pray for us and our family. We love you.